As Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. They said, Are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the fish among them all. And all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. This is the word of the Lord. Historians believe it was a Roman poet, Juvenal, who first said, Give them bread and circuses, and they will never revolt. Centuries later, it would be said of one of the French rulers, Give them bread and circuses, and they will follow you anywhere. In Spain, the saying was, give them bread and bullfights, and they will go anywhere. In the time of the Russian czars, it was, give them bread and spectacle, and they belong to you. Meaning, of course, that the poor, the destitute, the powerless, if you just dole out the bread and entertainment, they will behave themselves. Obviously, Jesus had far more in mind with feeding the people. What he was offering was far more. Today, we're going to look at Mark's understanding of this feeding of the 5,000, and next week we'll look at how John interpreted that wonderful event. Today, let's begin with Mark's statement. The disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a deserted place. What they literally said to him was, this is an eremos. With our alphabet, it would be E-R-E-M-O-S. It literally is translated most of the time, desert. It's the word used of Jesus after he had been baptized, that he went into the eremos, where for 40 days and nights he was tempted by the Satan, you remember? And yet scholars know that there is no desert right around the Sea of Galilee. One has to go about 90 miles south to get to the desert. So our translators say deserted place. But Mark simply says desert. This is a desert. How are we going to feed all of these people? And Jesus said, have them sit down on the green grass. In a desert? Desert, of course, is a word used to describe the Israelites following Moses from watering hole to watering hole, from green grass to green grass. 
being melded into a people of God, having been 400 years slaves in Egypt, now God melding them into a people of God. Mark has just said that when Jesus saw all these people, he was moved to compassion because he saw them as sheep who had no shepherd. Remember when Rabbi Zimmerman was here earlier this year? He said, most of the people who first heard the Bible heard the Bible. They could not read it nor write themselves. And if one is dependent upon memory, then one picks up on key phrases. Jesus saw them as shepherd who have no sheep. He told them to sit down on the green grass. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Dr. Jennifer Lord teaches homiletics at the Presbyterian Seminary in Austin, Texas. She recently wrote that she was really looking forward to the end of the semester. She knew it would be getting really hot in Austin, Texas. She and her husband and children were going north where it was cooler for a big backpack. And she said it made a good time to talk with the children First, it's fun to go to a sporting goods store, she said, and see all the new things they've made for backpackers. The frames are lighter and stronger. The little tents are stronger and lighter. Food is packaged so much better than ever before. Even so, if you're going to carry on your back everything you need for ten days and nights, what do you take? And what do you leave out? First aid kit, yeah, that would be good. Food for sure, of course. A bedroll, that'd be good. Fishing hooks, Uh, maybe yes, maybe no. Knives, something for protection, something to use in the cooking. A tent, well, if it rains, we would certainly need a tent. Even small ones that two, two could sleep in. And so she said it was a good time for us to talk about the way we live our lives. What do we need? What do we not really need? We just want. And then she said, when Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, he told them to travel light. He placed power in their hands. And then Dr. Lord says, did you hear the gospel writer? Power was put into your hands. What we're trying to decide is, what does the one who put it there really expect of us? Number two, have them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. Now, once again, people who could not read nor write, groups of 50 and 100. Oh, wait, if these people went to synagogue every Friday night, they heard the Torah read through every year. And in the Torah, it says, Moses was haggard with all these people who were coming to him with grievances. He did to me. She said to me. He wanted for me. He took for me. And finally, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, said, this is running you nuts. You've got to have more help. Divide the people into groups of 50 and 100 and get a really good, wise person to settle grievances for each group. Ah, Fifty and a hundred. But Mark uses another word here that's translated groups. It's the word symposion. We would write it again in English, S-U-M-P-O-S-I-O-N. But we have it in English in symposia, do we not? 
groups. But the word in Greek really has to do with drinking and eating, more like a banquet. And we have a word that might convey that, parties. He told them, sit down in parties of 50 or 100. Here in a deserted place where there's green grass, expect drinking and eating. Expect eating and drinking. Three weeks ago, there was a solar eclipse, not in Tulsa, on the Easter Islands. Now, we have a total eclipse of the sun about every 18 months. But only one little sliver of the Earth's population gets to see a given one. In fact, the people of Easter Island will have to wait 314 years for the next one. But there are people who chase these things. The Wall Street Journal had a big article about that. This time, to get all the way to Easter Island, people who chase solar eclipses were going to have to spend a lot of money. I mean, there were cruise ships offering opportunity to go to Easter Island, $9,000 apiece. If you spent money on airfare and hoped you could find a place to stay in Easter Island, good luck, because National Geographic and others had organized tours there. I mean, what a photo op with these giant old, old statues on Easter Island and a total eclipse of the sun when the moon gets between you and the sun and blocks it out for just a few moments. People interviewed in the article I read said, it's a spiritual experience. It's a spiritual experience. How big the sun, how much smaller the moon, how far away the sun, how much closer the moon. But when properly lined up, the moon just blocks out the sun. And yet there's one who created billions of suns and billions of moons and billions of solar systems. It's a spiritual experience. How big is all of that and how small am I? Yet Jesus said, we're about to have a party. Sit down on the grass and wait. Number three, one denarius the pay for one day's work. And when the disciples looked at this crowd, they said, my goodness, it would take 200 days' work to feed all of these people. What have you got? Five little loaves of bread, two fish. And Jesus lifted his eyes toward heaven, blessed, broke, and gave. Ah, if you read all of Mark's gospel, you'll discover that on Thursday night, just before Jesus was crucified, the next day, he was celebrating Passover with the disciples. He blessed, he broke, he gave. So perhaps Mark is anticipating. He already knows how this story ends. Already anticipating the Eucharist, Holy Communion. When Dr. Fred Craddock was a professor at Enid, Phillips Theological Seminary, when it was still there. He was a very young man. He is a disciple, and one of the disciple students had said he needed to be away one weekend. Would Dr. Craddock go out and preach at his little church? He said he agreed to do that. Middle of the night on Saturday night, one of those thunderstorms came up over northwestern Oklahoma, and it rained and rained and rained. Craddock said 
thunder, lightning woke me up. So I got up earlier than I normally would have and started out to this little country church. Surely enough, the paved road became a gravel road, and then it became a mud road. And when I finally got to this little church, still thunder, lightning, pouring down rain, there was one pickup. So he said, I got out, ran to the front door of the little church, and when I got in there, two guys were playing cards on that table that says, in remembrance of me. And when I walked in the door, they said, hey, Reverend, we came to tell you, we ain't having no church today, too much rain. And I asked, what are you doing? And one said, we're playing a little poker while we were waiting for you. And he said, on that table? And the guy said, hey, a table is a table is a table. And Craddock said, not to me. Not that table. No, sir. Not that table. Number four. Everybody ate all he or she wanted. Twelve tribes, twelve disciples. Everybody comes back with a basket full of bread and fish. Wow. What God can do. What he was doing, is doing, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Elizabeth Bolton is a minister up in Boston, Massachusetts. And she's written recently about her grandmother Nellie. She said, my grandmother Nellie was a force to be reckoned with when she was a young woman. She was tall, she was strong, she always had her hair fixed up fancy, and she wore bright red lipstick. She'd grown up in the Great Depression when she didn't have much, and she was determined never to be without again. In the 50s, with the threat of nuclear war, she listened. What if the Russians started dropping nuclear weapons on the United States? I better be prepared. So she filled her closet with cans of tuna fish and jars of peanut butter. Ten years later, there was a sugar shortage in the world, so my grandmother Nellie went out to the store, and she bought sugar. A closet full of it. Five-pound bags, ten-pound bags, powdered sugar, brown sugar, granulated sugar. She had sugar. And when OPEC cut back on the world's production of oil, she never let her gas tank get below three-quarters of a tank. When she had to wait in line every other day and my granddad would mumble and complain, she'd said, we got to have gas, we can't run out of gas. Elizabeth says, my grandfather's gone on to be with God, and my grandmother lives in a nursing home. Everything she has is in one little closet, three feet by five. Somebody has to help her into a wheelchair and push her to breakfast, help her out when breakfast is over, put her in a wheelchair, push her to lunch, help her get out when lunch is over, put her in a wheelchair, push her to dinner, help her out when it's over, clip her toenails, comb her hair. But if you ask her, Grandmother, what can I do for you? She'll say, I don't know. I have everything I need. Because somewhere back there, she learned to listen to Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust corrupt, and thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where rust, moth do not corrupt, and thieves do not break in and steal. Grandmother Nellie finally learned the treasure is in heaven.